X-Ray. And welcome to the Beer Vana Show, broadcast in Portland on X-Ray FM and available anywhere on your favorite podcast service. We join you from our respective homes where we continue to maintain a safe social distance. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Patrick. How are things in your neighborhood? Wet, cold, <laughs> dark. Yeah, actually, the, but the the sun is kind of peeking out a little bit here, down here oh, yeah. in the down here I, in the far south of southeast Portland. You know what they always say? It's always sunny in Selwood. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So I don't know what you're talking about there in the Buckman. Uh, we, you know, we uh, we have dark skies hanging over Buckman. That's just yeah. That 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 just goes along with the people. <laughs> dark, gloomy. gloomy people. Yeah, <laughs> pessimistic, gloomsters. You are. I guess that's it. Our sunny, happy people down here in Selwood are doing just fine. So uh, you are Jeff Allworth. You've written books. Uh, among those books are The Beer Bible, Secrets of Master Brewers, The Woodmere Way. You're working on The New Beer Bible. That's right. Exciting. Exciting. Looking forward to that. Thank you. It's it's uh, nearly done from an editorial perspective. The process is it, it, we do a, a content edit where we – uh, a, a, a certain editor or batch of editors looks at word choice and uh, that kind of thing, and you know maybe structure and all of that business. And then it goes, goes and we go through all that process, and then it goes to a copy editor who is just principally concerned with grammar and yeah. really fine tuning stuff. And we are halfway through the copy edit phase, so I have one more half of uh, the copy edit, which is much faster. And then it's off to the publisher to package up in a beautiful. Well, then it gets then it gets typeset, right? Yeah. Then you have to go through and make sure there's no problems with the typesetting process, which seems really archaic to me. Like, why do we need typesetters anymore? When you say you, you you mean the publisher, not me. I'm I'm out of it at that point. But yeah, but they'll send you page proofs, right, to make sure that there's no weird uh, stuff. Not no, not typically. They don't usually. I mean, they'll send no. me the page proofs uh, as a way. Usually, they'll say this is about to go to the uh, printer, and if we've missed anything in all these many iterations, this is the last chance you have to fix it. But no, they don't. They don't actually uh, send that to me for you know substantive review. So yeah, I, I find that funny. Well, you'll have to tune into our other podcast today in 21st century book publishing. That's right. That's uh, for right. more. <laughs> but I find I find it interesting that there's still some vestiges of old style publishing that's um well uh, that still exists. But you have to sort of set up the pages, and make them look nice, and all that. So yeah, that's exactly right. If you're actually putting it between covers in a tangible copy, um, like for example, in the beer bible, I'm not sure if this is true with all books, but it, it has to be done in blocks of 16 pages. Uh, the way it's bound. So if you go, it's got to be the the book has got to be divisible by 16. Uh, And if we go over 16, then we got to, you know, fill it full of photos or something to make it spread back out to the next block uh, or or trim it down to just have like action shots of you. Like the last four pages can be like Jeff in action. Yeah. That'll, that'll definitely Jeff with a pencil, Jeff with a beer. Jeff breaking leaves. Uh, <laughs> long, long as there's no Jeff uh, caught in an in unexpectedly candid moment on Zoom. <laughs> because, oh, God. <laughs> no, that's the other Jeff. They're not buying the book for the beer, man. They're buying it for you. That's true. Did I inter- did I introduce you? You are you're Patrick Emerson, a professor of economics at uh, Oregon State University. A man who needs no introduction. I think that is must have been what I was assuming. So that was superfluous, but superfluous, flu- <laughs> superfluous, but uh, but thank you anyway. Yes, indeed. All right, so uh, here we go, and this is going to test my pronunciation. But on today's show, we're going to do a deep dive into one of the hottest old things in beer, Kowike yeast. How did I do? I think I think that's good. The Norwegians will be proud. I hope so. These old farmhouse strains of yeast have been around for generations and longer as breweries in Western Norway pass them from one generation to the next. Lately, IPA brewers have repurposed them to make bright, juicy IPAs, but the possibilities extend far beyond hoppy styles. So today we're going to do our big deep dive into Kawaik and farmhouse brewing, and in fact, not only that, but you and I have done laboratory experiments with Kawaik. 
in the That's sense right. that we tried to homebrew with it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I don't know if you call it a success, but I don't think it has anything to do with the the yeast. I think it has a lot to do with the brewers and the choices they made. You know, the yeast did its job. It turned our wort into beer. So beyond that, it, it, it you can't blame them the microbe. You must you must blame the brewer. <laughs> it might have might have been the sixteen different styles of hops that we threw in there and all kinds of other things we decided to do at the same time. Right. None of which we'd ever used. <laughs> Always smart. Right. Well, well we'll get into that soon. But before we do, of course, we've got to talk about the news. Some very good news arrived last week with the announcement that drug manufacturer Pfizer had developed a COVID-19 vaccine that was more than 90% effective among the more than 43,000 participants in the trial. It is one of just 47 trials currently underway and is a very hopeful sign that an effective vaccine will be available in 2021. This is obviously very good news for restaurants, pubs, and breweries looking at a long, dark winter. Yay! Yeah, that's pretty exciting. That's this is the the German guys, uh, BioNTech, I think is what they call themselves. Uh, uh, I read a, uh, an article about the the uh, founders of the of the German company, two Turkish immigrants, um, <laughs> uh, and this is one of those um, RNA style ones that is great, uh, a, a brand new style of of. Uh, vaccine. So we'll see that it was, it was a fair amount. They had gotten to a fair number of people who had been infected, which is the key thing. Right. You need to look at all among all the infected, how many had the vaccine and how many had the placebo. Right. Um, and so there, uh, <laughs> thanks to the, to the huge second wave of, uh, of COVID infections, I suppose they're going to get very quickly to the next threshold, which is when they should actually get, uh, might get FDA approval. Yeah. That's a little gallows humor, but it is true that there are a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of opportunities. Well, it is gallows humor, but that was one of the things they were worried about. If, if the summer really caused this big retreat in COVID infections, then it was going to take a long time for these trials to, to get, to reach the point in which they could actually make a scientifically valid conclusion. So, um, it's true, but uh, it's sort of sad, but true that it's helpful for the for the vaccines. This is the one, by the way, I think, right, that needs to be transported at something like eighty degrees below Fahrenheit, uh, below zero Fahrenheit. Uh, yeah, I don't know the temperature, but cold. Uh, and really it's a, super cold. And it's a two doser, so um, yeah. that's another issue. So some logistic problems, but uh, anyway, good news. The thing that people have been, the point that people have been making, and I think it's right, is that it gives people a sort of a renewed uh, motivation to take the virus seriously now because there does seem to be uh, a finish line coming. It's exactly right. I mean, humans can only, you know, bear down for so long before they just get completely give up. And it, there's something really weird about not knowing that makes you kind of lose all strength of will. Uh, but if you know, you know, I got to make it until these things start coming out in the spring and, and summer, and then we're going to be through this, then it's a lot easier to just, you know, hold the, stick with the program and, and try to get through all this. Yeah. So touch with that the final result mimics the current result. There's no reason not to suggest it would. And that we'll have that one out soon. And there's a few others that are also probably reaching close to the end of their trials too. So we might right. have a number of vaccines out and circulating. Yeah, and that would be great. And and uh, and that could mean that come spring, I'm sitting in a pub again. And by God, I'd love that. All right, I'm, I'm joining you. All right. In uh, <laughs> our second item, as a follow-up to a piece we, we reported earlier, Gail Benson, owner of the New Orleans Pelicans and Saints, recently announced that she was renaming Dixie Brewing. Uh, the new name will be Faubourg Brewing, a French word used to indicate the neighborhoods of New Orleans. Uh, the brewery is taking the opportunity to update the beer uh, with the name change. GM Jim Birch reported the brewery's flagship lager would go back to its all-barley 1907 recipe and said uh, the Faubourg lager will be crisper, a bit crisper. It is going to have a tad more alcohol. It won't have the rice. It'll uh, have the more frothy, foamy head. They will use the name change as an opportunity to update, update the line too, adding three new beers, including an IPA. Um, so that's kind of a big deal. We, we, you know, we talked about it in the context of uh, the Black Lives Matter movement and how yeah. uh, people are revisiting uh, problematic names um, that have been holdovers from an unexamined earlier time, and, and right. they're examining them and making changes. So that's great. 
Yeah, that is great. I look and forward to Faubourg. having a, a new Faubourg lager. Yeah, me too. And 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 Faubourg is one of those words that is really meaningful to uh, New Orleanians apparently, but not people outside. So I don't really know what it means. But that's that's cool too, right? That's it's a it's a wink to local people, which I, I give it up to them for that. That's cool. Yeah, absolutely. Cheers. <laughs> Indeed. Now we turn to the Kawaik yeast and Kawaik beers. Indeed. <laughs> so, uh, Jeff, you you got to get us started. What uh, what do we need to know about the origins and history? And then later we can talk about how it's being used currently in uh, American craft beer. All right. Oh, but, but oh, first. Well. But first, uh, just to wet my whistle for it's beer what, o'clock. <laughs> what might be um, uh, a lengthy description, I need to have a little bit of beer. And I do not we, – we both tried to find Kawaik beer, uh, beer made with Kawaikis, and I couldn't find it. You succeeded. But I have uh, I a, a, a beer that casts back to our, our GABF episode, uh, one of the beers we did not find, local beers, that was a winner, uh, the Old Town Pilsner. Uh, oh, yeah. Which is, can you hear that? I can. Very nice. Very clearly. Very good. Thank you. Um, it is a robust, they call it a pre-prohibition lager on the label, and I can't remember which Pilsner category uh, it won in, but I went and bought a, a four-pack at the brewery with a pizza, and it is golden-colored, slightly honey colored i would say uh, uh tinge just a tinge off brilliant uh-huh. and it's a it's a super nice beer i don't think you've had this one have you uh did we not have it in our great pilsner taste off we did not ah mm. it's this one is especially good and actually for a blog post i was doing i was emailing uh adam milne the owner and he said that the brewer uh, andrew who is a lager guy was super pleased with this batch and i agree this is an incredibly good batch they may i think they won bronze they might have won gold if they'd had this batch <laughs> yeah well cheers to them there's a bunch of uh we had uh, uh pilsners that that uh we could we just couldn't find during our pilsner taste off well a bunch but a few a few very notable pilsners we couldn't find during our pilsner taste off so that makes me think that next summer maybe we need to do it again I think so. I mean, it's amazing. You know, here we had this Pilsner taste off. We had a bunch of great beers, uh, and two of the ones we didn't get to taste went on to the JPF to win win medals. I mean, yeah. what an what an embarrassment of riches we have here. Yeah, we were just talking about the uh, Block Fifteen Gloria, which is another Pilsner that we couldn't find at the time. Generally widely available, but what, for whatever reason, uh, it wasn't on the shelves. Yeah, I know. It's amazing. Okay, back to Kawaik. Back to Kawaik. In fact, I do, so as you mentioned, do have one. I'm going to wait to open it for a few minutes until I'm introduced by you, and then I can uh, open it once I'm a little more more well-informed. Excellent. Okay. Well, let's just start with a word, uh, because that's it's a, this bizarre word. Um, it's <laughs> so, uh, it's a Norwegian word and almost all of the information that I'm going to present today, very authoritatively actually, <laughs> uh, which, uh, uh, full disclosure actually comes from a man named Lars Marius Garshol, uh, a Norwegian who discovered this amazing vein of farmhouse brewing in his backyard, uh, and then began exploring further and found that farmhouse brewing still exist, uh, all across Scandinavia, down into the Baltics and even into Russia, uh, which is, uh, just amazing. And he's got a book out, which I encourage everybody to read. Uh, it's one of the best beer books written in the last 50 years. And I, I say that seriously. It's just absolutely vivid with amazing information. Mm. So he, uh, so then this, this word kawaik is now in, in regular use. And uh, it refer, it is the Norwegian word um, that uh, means yeast. And he, he writes, uh, it comes from the same root as the English quick in the meaning of being alive. In fact, in uh, dialect Norwegian, kawaik is two different nouns. One is female and means the yeast, while the other is male and means to breathe new life into something. It's used of kindling a fire and also metaphorically of inspiring people to work harder. So uh-huh. both of these are kind of, you know, per, uh, 
totally perfect for a yeast, uh, both senses. Right. Uh, so, so kawike. Well, I, I want to let's get into it, but I want to start out giving uh, Lars the floor because uh, his book is so cool, and he tells this amazing story about how he first discovered this uh, this tradition, and I'm going to read a little bit of that. All right. He he went he went to um, a home brewer. So these guys, these farmhouse brewers, are basically home brewers, and this beer does not make it out into the commercial world at all, which is why it was kind of hidden for so long. Right. And his name was uh, Sigmund. I think it's Yarnus. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna, sorry, Sigmund, if I got that wrong. <laughs> and uh, they they sat down, and the first thing they did was have a beer. But he he, he stayed for the whole brewing session, uh, which he describes. But they they sat down and had a beer, and the, this was his first experience with the farmhouse beer that comes from uh, the this this region and this yeast and he he said i couldn't really judge it very well from the sample but one thing stood out a strong aroma of orange peel and christmas spice then he was very drawn in and so then they went brewing uh it the way sigmund brews is with juniper water and a long mash that's very exotic and bizarre and you should read all about that we're here to talk <laughs> about the kawike so i'm just going to go right to the that part of the uh uh, brewing, brewing day. So he, he, he continues. Sigmund then brought out the kawaik. The first thing he showed us was the traditional yeast ring known as a yarkan. It looks like an intricate wooden necklace or an animal spine. The yarkran was used to gather yeast from the fermenter, which then dries on the wood. Because of all the little wooden links in the ring, the ring has a large surface in a rather small volume, so it is effective at collecting yeast. Yeast. It was then hung up somewhere until it was time to brew again. Yeast uh, dried like this can stay good for years. And within this region of Sweden, people also use a thing called a a yeast log, which is sort of a similar process. And in Sweden, they they make them into little cakes, which look just mm-hmm. like donuts. I've seen photos in, in his book, um, which is kind of amazing. Uh-huh. So he pulls out the yeast ring and shows it to uh, Lars, who's really surprised and amazed by it, and then throws it into the uh, wort uh, where, where all the, the all this dried yeast is collected on the uh, the yeast ring. And he he continues, puzzled by this, I asked what temperature he he pitched the yeast around thirty nine C, which is one hundred and two degrees Fahrenheit, was the answer. Silence followed as I stared at him. Seeing my surprise, Sigmund mildly added, my brother Gunliv has measured the temperature during fermentation to 43C, 109 degrees Fahrenheit. So he realized immediately that he was working with some very weird stuff, this thing that could be collected and hung up on a yeast ring and then be thrown into wort that was warmer than blood temperature, um, which is a great deal warmer than regular yeast, which usually ferments around 65 degrees. So uh, I don't know. I have no idea what that is in Celsius. Do you know what that is? 65 degrees? No. Yeah. <laughs> 20? Yeah. Like 20, yeah, something <clears throat> like that. A little less, maybe 18. I don't know. Anyway, that was his introduction to Kawaii yeast, and he became super fascinated and wondered, is this a typical thing? And he traveled around it, and it turns out it is. A lot of these farmhouse brewers, uh, we, we, not quite unique, but certainly um, unusual among the farmhouse brewers, uh, had kept strains of their yeast alive, not just for decades, but sometimes for generations, as it was passed down in this weird process of drying out and throwing back in the beer and drying out and throwing back in the so beer. So presumably these were wild yeast to begin with. Ah, interesting. Yes, that's a fascinating. We're going to get to okay, that. You'd sorry. think, right? Yes, right. You'd think you'd think that it was it's all kinds of funk and gunk and crazy stuff on that ring. Well, I guess well, I would. I was just, I mean, I, my point was just the origin of the yeast to begin with. Uh, I assumed was wild and not somehow started as a cultivated yeast. But then, yeah, I wonder how all the iterate, iterative processes transform the yeast that gets that preserves each year. Right. Yeah, it's a fascinating 
uh, question. And when, when Lars first started writing about all these different uh, traditions, I wondered, are these, you know, I just assumed this is all going to be like Lambic, all these, all these breweries, uh, you know, in Chuvasia and Russia and in Lithuania and uh, in, in Voss, Norway, all these places, you know, they've got their own Lambic tradition. But he reported that all the beer was pretty clean, hmm. um, very, in, in some cases, funky, like weird flavors, but not wild flavors. Right. And that was fascinating. Um, and he actually, I think he got interested in this whole tradition in Lithuania first, before he discovered it in his own backyard in Norway. And he, uh, you know, he was coming to this kind of, the same question like how where does this yeast come from right is it is it repitched are they what kind of what are they using because it, it turns out in in some traditions like in uh uh finland where they make sati which is the the native farmhouse mm-hmm. beer which actually a lot of people have heard of they just pitch bread yeast mm. so, so he was he was uh delighted to find out that when he when he found this guy, Sigmund, uh, he, he had his own yeast strain and, uh, it, Lars actually asked him, Hey, do you mind if I sample your yeast? And he said, Oh, sure. Have as much as you want. And so he collected samples of it, which has led, and we'll get to this a little bit down the line to, uh, a whole process, a whole, a whole like archive he has. And, uh, he's done a bunch of research now into the genetics of the mm-hmm. yeast to find out, what the story is, um, and in fact, the 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 Kauai geese that are available are now available because of the work that that Lars did. If you've brewed with this yeast, you have. It goes back to this experience that I just read from with Lars wandering in there and 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 uh, finding this astounding. Uh, well, that sounds like a perfect segue and excuse for me to open up my beer. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> so my beer is called uh, Folk. Uh, Wanger or, or Volkwanger maybe, uh, which is described as a dark Norwegian style ale from Little Beast Brewing here in Portland, Oregon. And that was going to be my first question to you, which was we used a cultivated strain of uh, Kawaik yeast, and this one I assume does. And that is probably stuff that was harvested somewhere in Norway at some point in time. Right. Yeah. So all of these uh, different... So now... Many yeast labs offer kawaii yeast, and they offer it. So one thing that uh, Lars discovered is each farmer had his own family yeast strain, right? So they all had their 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 yeast logs or their yeast cakes or their yeast rings, and they each had different yeasts. And so he started collecting all of these, and they have different characters. Some of them, I mentioned, uh, Sigmund's was orange and spice, but some are much more. Uh, tropical and uh, banana-y or uh, they have different characters. Mm-hmm. One is described as caramel and cre- like creamy and caramely. And one is much more, remind me of winter ale. It's like cognac and plum. Mm. So they, you know, yeah, and you can, and, and many of these have now made their, their way to yeast labs. And we, when we brewed, uh, at, we used the, one of the strains that Imperial yeast here in Portland uh, was using, but, there are now actually uh, quite a few yeast labs in the United States and, and elsewhere uh, that are offering yeast to craft brewers mainly, and many of these have their own have have, have various versions of these uh, kawaii. So I'll just say that I've now opened this beer. It's a very lovely beer. It's uh, dark, um, but it's uh, uh, sort of uh, reddish brown um, and very clear, very bright. Um, but quite dark. It's got a rich, creamy head. And what's really interesting is the first thing that I've noticed is what's coming through in this particular beer is the um, the malt. It's got uh, a little bit of um, roast and a little bit of chocolate, I think, maybe even coffee notes on the nose. And then it, and then it has what I would describe maybe as like a white wine grape uh, a note as well. Haven't yet tasted it. I'm just talking about the- That's the great. Aroma. No, because I, I haven't had this beer. I'm focused a lot. Hmm. So I'm reading about it, and it and it includes late edition Hollertau Blanc, which is probably your white wine grape. Ah, Good call, man. Mm. Yeah, that's delightful. Uh, really delightful, actually. Um, the the roastiness is 
is beautiful. And I'm a little bit sensitive to, to roast. So it's got a roasty, rich uh, malt feel, but it's not a heavy beer at all. Um, and uh, yeah, it has a little bit, I guess it's coming from the hops. It has, it has a little bit of grape flavor, but nothing, you know, what's interesting is uh, there's nothing I could tell you that's really distinctive about the, the, uh, the yeast. Interesting. That comes to my, uh, my palate right away, but I'll, I'll, I will ponder as we talk some more. Are yeah, these, that's interesting. Are these cultivated yeast strains from uh, his samples that he took? <clears throat> Sorry, Lars's samples? Lars and I think others. I'm not sure Lars is the okay. source for every single right. one that you're going to find. Um, he, he opened, he opened but, the door and other people have come in. And... That's right. And, and the strain that uh, he found at Sigmund's is, is broadly available. It's one of the most widely available. Uh, okay. So that one is... That one is quite quite widely available. Uh, I think one of the interesting things about this yeast strain, which we can now delve into a little bit, is it behaves differently depending on how you use it. Mm-hmm. So all yeast does that, right? Yep. So that's, that's actually not, not too shocking. But because this beer is, uh, this yeast strain is so weird, um, <laughs> if you brew with it normally, I think you get less character. And it's, it's possible that you're not tasting the character either because uh, it's dominated by the roast palate and it's a little bit is, is blotting mm-hmm. out some of the more subtle notes or, or because possibly uh, Charles Porter, the brewer there, didn't brew warm enough. Right. So what, what it, what it, one thing it turns out is that um, uh, the farmhouse brewers across the whole region tend to brew uh, very warm. Um, one of the most fascinating things, so not just with the Kavaik yeasts, but uh, Kawaik uh, yeasts, but but across the the region, is they they tend to brew at at blood temperature, mm-hmm. which I think of you know I, I call it blood temperature, um, you know like the temperature of our human right. blood. They don't call it blood right. temperature; they call it milk warm, <laughs> <laughs> which is um, for for Americans that you mean like but but. Milk is not warm. Well, it's not warm when you get it in the fridge, but it's really warm when it comes out of the cow. Right. <laughs> and that's what they're referring to, the temperature coming out of a cow, which is sort of like blood warmth. Um, yeah. And that that when they measure that, it, it tends to be around 97 degrees. So these, these yeasts are uh, predisposed for very, very, very warm temperatures. Yeah. We faced this issue when we were homebrewing, we how, to, how, to, how to ferment at such a warm temperature. And I failed. I tried to. I tried to keep it up, but um, that's really warm. Uh, yeah. So you you, it, you can imagine how it's hard for local brewers, for example, who want to use this yeast and really get it to express the character to keep it that warm. That's right. If you don't have temperature control in your fermenter, you're going to have trouble. Though Sigmund, you know what his process yeah, is? Yeah, I was just about to ask. How do the farmers do it? Yeah, exactly. So that's the cool thing, and this is a great. This is one of the reasons why uh, Lars's book is so interesting because it it you know it's. It's really, if you're a home brewer, these guys are home brewers too. So it's all pretty easy to do. He runs the wort off, pitches immediately when it's super warm and bundles, bundles his, uh, his fermenter up. It's not, he just insulates it really deeply. Uh. And this, this takes us to the second thing that's really characteristic of Kawaii yeast, which is that it ferments crazy fast. (laughs) And and ours did not ferment this fast, and I think it's because I it wasn't warm enough. You know, I didn't have it warm yeah. enough. Uh, but uh, he he has this long uh, database of different different yeasts, and the majority of yeasts, uh, something like the vast majority of quite yeasts, ferment within forty eight hours. But quite uh, like maybe more than half, some some large percent uh, will ferment within twelve to twenty four mm. hours. Which, you know, you don't have to have great technology to keep uh, anything warm for 12 hours. If it starts out warm, that's that, you know, you can keep it pretty warm for 12 yeah, hours. Yeah, if you bundle it up. Good. Yeah, these are incredibly vigorous strains. Oh, that's fascinating. So these, these things just gobble things up right away. <clears throat> yeah, there was, uh, I don't know where I saw this. It might have been in Lars's book, it might have been somewhere else, but a researcher was... Uh, uh, working with this yeast and he wanted to test it out. So he, he made a little like test tube amount of it. 
of wort uh-huh. and pitched it. And then he went out to lunch and he came back 40 minutes later and it was fermented. <laughs> the vigorous yeast, those Norwegian yeast. Yeah. Yeah. So if you haven't uh, brewed before, you, you uh, just to say uh, it takes hours usually for any visible sign of uh, fermentation to begin, right. even with vigorous so yeast. It, so for it, 40 minutes. Yeah. Crazy. And so the alcohol content in the wort starts building really quickly and i imagine that's good for like purity right you are it's like it's like we talked about this and i and you set me up but we didn't <laughs> you're just that good i am especially when i've got a few <laughs> mouthfuls of folkwanger in me exactly uh by the way my old town i, I just to report back now that i'm halfway mm-hmm. through it it's um it's got a really wonderfully tangy herbal hopping Mm -hmm. um which is just super delightful it's really a smooth beer but it's got quite a bit of hop character Mm -hmm. and it's flavor more than bitterness it's just deeply flavorful would you consider that hop character traditional or is it sort of a new school Uh, it's totally traditional they they use uh uh, Herzbacher, Spalt, Mietelfru, mm-hmm. and a little Santiam, which is an American noble. It's an American version of the noble yeah. hops. And it, yeah, it tastes, it tastes totally German. I don't think they won in the German hop or the German Pilsner category. And it's probably just because it's too hoppy. It's a little bit too assertive in right, the hops. Right. But, um, but it's, but it's no, it, it's no more hoppy than, uh, you'd find in a, in a, a Czech Pilsner. It's not like it's American crazy. It's, uh, just, you know, Germans don't go quite as far. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, since we're talking about the beer, the, the Folkwanger here is lovely. I'm still trying to pick out the Kvike yeast notes. But uh, what I can say is, uh, just like we were talking about uh, in a previous podcast a few weeks ago, you know, it's fall outside, it's wet, it's windy, it's cool. And that uh, that roasty malt, that malt characteristic that comes through, uh, it just feels really warming and appropriate for the season. Man, I gotta go get me some folk vomit. Oh you gotta get it. <laughs> By the way, you got before that. we before we went to the podcast, I told you the story and I'll re- relate it now, which is uh I went into the store thinking it would be great if I could find something brewed with Kvikis, and I didn't really know what I was looking for. And I saw this can and uh the the immediate presentation I thought, wow, that thing looks like if it was going to have kvikis, that would be the one. <laughs> it's a really cool can with sort of this, uh, I don't know, runic kind of script and then a bunch of like swords and, and, and feathers like all pointing. It's really it's and cool. The, and the, <laughs> yeah. And the, did you say that? Yeah. The font is like yeah. runes. Yeah. It's yeah. Cool. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. Go find yourself some. It's good. Excellent. I will do that. And I, I guess I get that. It's- fast fermenting yeast and how that might keep the beer kind of pure in a farmhouse setting. Yes, exactly. So this goes back to your first question about wild yeast and why, you know, and and why these things aren't funky and weird right. and full of bread or other things. Well, there are a few reasons to wh- why this is the case. One is that uh, these, this yeast is so vigorous that it outcompetes other things. So spoilage mar- uh, microorganisms, mm-hmm. uh, other yeasts that are so there's there's this these are Saccharomyces mm-hmm. yeasts that uh, uh, quike is Saccharomyces, which is just regular ale right. yeast. But there are t- like if you go pick a plum and it's got that film on the outside mm-hmm. and you analyze that film, it's going to have bread, it's going to have sack, it's going to have uh, all these other kinds of weird yeasts that w- we don't know that much about, uh, which are not really <laughs> like they're they're not the what we put in, in right. beer. There's a lot of different yeast genuses out there. Um, but this is, it's relatively, these, these are relatively clean and it's because the, the sac strain that has uh, been selected over the generations is this incredibly vigorous strain that outcompetes all comers. And then interestingly, right? So, okay. It would outcompete Brett, even if Brett was in right. there, but the but the Brett would still be present, right? Uh, and and if you let it sit long enough, like if you got one of these Kauai, uh beer beers that uh, you know if they had bottled it and put it away, you know, in ten years, would that Brett have come out? Well, no, that Brett wouldn't come out because the Brett doesn't survive the drying. So it's mm. got a, it's it's got it's like this series of tests that they've they put the yeast through and one, and, and the drying is a big one. Even a lot of, uh, 
uh, Saccharomyces strains will not survive. Ah, interesting. So, yeah. And, so and I imagine they've the, cleverly done Yeah, this. and I imagine the brewing techniques also evolved. Like the fact that they do uh, ferment at such a high temperature is probably because, you know, early on they were getting all kinds of crazy stuff when that when that yeast wasn't wasn't uh, as vigorous at lower temperatures. So it probably, it probably I, the beer probably tasted better. They found when they did it at high temperatures. I think I think it was probably I think causality is a little bit different. Uh, I think they were they were using high temperature. Uh, they they were they had high warm wort. So this I'm I'm relying a little bit on my knowledge of the log yeah. here. Uh, they had warm wort, so the the yeast that's going to uh, be selected is the yeast that produced palatable beer at warm temperature. Right. right. And that, uh, that yeast probably is the most vigorous stuff. I mean, warm temperature is a, it's temperature is energy. And so that's going to make things go faster anyway. Uh, but in this case, what we're, what we're looking for is yeasts that work at a very warm temperature and produce palatable beer, Mm. which, you know, if you, (laughs) if you pitch just a regular ale strain in hundred degree beer at words, you're going to end up with gasoline. It's going to be terrible. You don't want that. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. So you you end up with this kind of virtuous cycle where the process they're using produces a yeast strain that's palatable. And so, I'm sorry, you might've said this before, how long ago, I mean, uh, how far back are we talking about? Like how these, these little uh, Kauai rings, uh, yeah, they go back at least 500 years and, you know, we're, we're, the, the problem is that, uh, beer is a folk product and it's not, it's not, you know, at, at a point where only, uh, probably, um, monks and, and so on knew how to, how to write. They're not writing about beer, you know, they're not writing about (laughs) folk stuff. (laughs) So, so then we, we kind of lose the plot. The thing is there, there, there are yeast rings that, that date back that far. Uh, and that's how they know yeast logs and yeast rings. So we're practically talking about Um, Vikings, man. Yeah. Viking beer. This is Viking beer. (laughs) It's totally Viking beer. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's, uh, it's incredibly cool. So there's just a few other things I want to mention about Kauai yeast uh, before we move on. Um, uh, characteristics. Let's just talk about that. If you want to brew with this beer, yeah. uh, what are you yeah. getting? So one thing that you're getting is very fast, uh, quite clean, and very hot. Mm-hmm. So all those things function are, are functioning. Another interesting thing is uh, the yeast is tolerant to alcohol quite well. Mm. So the different strains will tolerate up to 13 and all the way up to 16% Good Lord. alcohol, which is <laughs> that's yeah, that's yeast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, to, you know, um, it, um, normal, normal strains would, would not get much above uh, 12 usually. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to get all the way up to 16, um, you know, a third more alcoholic, that's kind of amazing. We'll just wait till the brew dog guys get the hands on this. That's right. <laughs> Start high, right? Uh, because it kicks off, because it ferments warm, it kicks off a lot of uh, amazing esters, mm-hmm. and these these come in all different kinds of varieties. We've kind of already talked about that. I talked about the the cognac and plum versus uh, the the stone fruit and banana. Um, one I'm now looking at it, the Hornendal Quike. Uh, this is Lars's uh, notes on that milky caramel. Uh, fruity, some citrus, sometimes mushroom. Mm. And that reminds me so much of uh, sake right. yeast, which is also tolerant to very high levels. And I, uh, you know, I don't know if they're related. I don't want to, I don't want to get into all that. I, I'm not, not proposing anything here, right. but the more you kind of look at these things, the more you start to see connections with other things. And it's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that I don't know that I can, uh, uh, detect like clear esters from this yeast, but two things I would say that seem consistent with what you're telling me. One is that it's a very, even though it's a dark beer, it's clearly a very bright beer. So it sounds, it's, uh, I suspect that it's, um, uh, it, it, uh, flocculates out pretty well. And the second is that it's a pretty, I mean, it's, um, I wouldn't describe it as like a super dry beer, but it's a very clean finish. It's got a nice, it's nicely dry. Uh, um, so I imagine that it attenuates out pretty well. 
Good job, my friend. Uh, it is the, it, apparently they, the the Kwaikis are largely high uh, flocculators, which means that the, the yeast cells will clump together and drop out of solution uh, and leave you with a clear beer. Mm-hmm. And we, when we brewed, we we assumed it was going to be like a saison yeast and dry out completely. And it, it, they don't actually dry out completely, but they they do dry out pretty well. Mm-hmm. So if you're brewing at a very high a very high alcohol beer, it won't go all the way down to, uh, you know, one Plato uh, uh, of apparent attenuation or very, very dry, but it will dry out better than uh, typical ale yeast. It will, it will grind through that uh, maltose pretty yeah, well. Yeah, look at me. I'm so, two for two. Yeah, it has that kind of crispness, crispness of a lager, uh, that kind of sort of dry, crisp feeling. So. Yummy. Then that is the and that's the last thing. So here here's the last thing. Oh, I'm three for three. Is, Boy, I'm <laughs> I'm on form. You're just you're just you're just nailing it. You're impressive, man. So the last thing is uh, the the quite many of the the people. So this we have this super obscure strain. These uh, obscure strain of yeast that you know for hundreds of years, no one in the wider beer world is aware of. All of a sudden, it it presents itself and now it's in all these different yeast labs and now people are starting to brew with it mm-hmm. and what they're discovering is if you uh, it has many applications in the brewing industry mm-hmm. because it brew it they ferment so fast uh and they ferment fast even relatively fast even at lower temperatures apparently this is what i'm told uh mm-hmm. this is what people say uh so time is money in brewing so even cutting off a few days is very oh, valuable. Totally, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's helpful. You get you can get clean ferments, and I have seen people refer to uh, quike loggers. Ah, exactly like you said. <laughs> so you can so you if you're making a lager, the lager yeasts are great. Uh, at doing what they do, but they take a long time to do, go through primary fermentation, yeah. usually a day per per point of Play-Doh. So we're talking about, for a regular like Pilsner, you're talking about 12 days, something like 12 right. days. Um, well, if you can cut that you know, by two thirds, uh, that's great. And then if they're, if it's very clean, the big thing, the big problem with lager brewing is after those 12 <laughs> days, you end up with this kind of nasty, uh, sulfurous, gross thing, and you got to let it lager to clean up all that stuff, right? Um, so if you can, if you can make those really clean beers like the one that you're drinking there with the Folkvanger, right. uh, you know, fast and clean, uh, it has many industrial <laughs> applications, which is super yep. ironic given its you know farmhouse roots. Like nobody would expect that. No, not at all. And 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 so actually, the other thing that I know because I saw something you wrote recently is that because of all of the fruity esters people are starting to work with this in ipas yes absolutely yeah there are certain strains that are the 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 strains that produce more of the tropical fruit right uh people are loving them uh working with bright juicy american hops and so the kvike ipas are unsurprisingly the most popular uh, version of this uh this strain the Americans who are making IPAs are really attracted to it as well for for other reasons than than efficiency and, and cost savings. Yeah, that's why when I went into the store looking for something just because of what you'd written, I figured that's probably what I would find. But instead, totally. I find instead I find the Volkwanger. I know, and I, I have to say I, I give uh, a little beast a lot of credit because it sounds like they tried to make a beer that was that was more in in, in line with uh, uh, the kind of beer that you'd find if you went to Western Norway. Yeah, and by the way, in case I'm not clear, this is a fantastic beer. This is a really fabulous beer, I think, uh, for exactly the reasons I've described. It's got this really warm, sort of roasty chocolate coffee note. It's got the the, the hops that give it a little bit of uh, uh, fruitiness, but kind of like a white wine fruitiness, and it and it's clean and crisp. It's just like a perfect fall beer, if you ask me. Ooh, that sounds so good. I gotta get myself some Folkvanger. <laughs> Also, can yeah, we just no. say it's got an amazing name, Folkvanger? We keep saying it. It's an amazing name. <laughs> yeah. Who, who knows what it means? I know. I hope it actually means something reasonable in Norwegian. I'm sure it does. Yeah. It's the Vonger that we need to figure out because the folk seems pretty straightforward. The folk seems pretty good. Yeah, yeah. People's beer or something. Yeah. Like yeah. Right. Uh, so the last thing, and and then and then I think I, I've said all I can say about 
Kawaii yeast is the the really fascinating thing is uh, the genetics. So Lars took this thing to have it gene sequenced, and he found he found that uh, when 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 we look at uh, gene sequencing of yeast strain uh, beer yeast, there are kind of two giant categories where beer comes from, and then a third like more smaller uh family of beer yeasts and he was uh-huh. he was curious like is it one of is it one of the classic three or is it what is it and it turns out that it's actually a combination and this is also you were really your instincts were incredibly good this time because you this is one of your first questions was it, was it a wild yeast um <laughs> i know good, surprisingly rarely <laughs> good job man we, we should do more early uh, podcasts you're much sharper <laughs> <laughs> before you need your nap all right yeah that's right. Uh, <laughs> uh so the interesting thing is it's 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 a uh, it's it has two ancestors and one of the ancestors is unrelated to other uh uh strains that have been sequenced it's a completely novel category which is super cool and to your point i think not un- not not surprising right so it's not been touched by other things but at some point Way in the distant past, it has an ancestor that's related to uh, Hefeweizen yeast, which is in the is is in the first of the major beer categories, um, and it's most closely related to Hefeweizen. So it, ah. it's a descendant of. So at some point, somebody pitched some yeasts or something, or we. It's hard to say, uh, right? But Lars speculates that all of the Kawaii yeasts in Western Norway and the, and. and uh, uh, Nor- Nor- Norwegian farming uh, farmhouse brewing extends beyond Western Norway. The Kawaikis come from Western Norway. He speculates that because all of them that he's tested have that original uh, weird undocumented yeast strain um, mm-hmm. as an ancestor, that they must all be related at some point if you go back far enough, which is also super cool and fascinating. Wow, that is amazing! Oh, and by the way, one last thing: okay. uh, yeah. when you get these yeast strains in Norway, uh, mm-hmm. they are usually, actually, all of them um, are mixed strains. Two to mm. ten different strains of Saccharomyces in there. A lot of times they're related, and a lot of times one or a few of them are dominant. But they mm. are they're they're complex strains that have a lot going on, and most often, when they're taken out of uh, that context, taken to a lab, the lab will will uh, select the dominant strain, and that's what you mm-hmm. get. So when uh, okay. like when we brewed, we were getting an isolate of the dominant strain. Uh, right. There is a brewery or there is a lab in Maine that does the full the full meal deal. Yeah, if you're really interested, <laughs> maniacal brewing in Maine is the place you want to go. All right. Nice. No. Yes. What were you going to say? I was just going to say I have an answer to what Folkvanger is. Okay. Uh, and of course, of course, those who who study North mythology will will be hit hitting their heads that it took us this long. So in North mythology, Folkvanger. This is of course from the authoritative Wikipedia. Uh. <laughs> Folkvanger is a meadow or field ruled over by the goddess Freya, uh, where half of those that die in combat go upon death, whilst the other half go to the god Odin in Valhalla. Ah, Folkvanger. Now, how, does it tell you how, how that sorting happens? Uh, how is it decided which warriors will go to Folkvanger and which to Valhalla? <laughs> this is some uh, little question and answer thing. Um, uh, let's see if there's an answer. <laughs> oh, no. It's real time. It's real time Wikipedia reading. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is. Riveting content. Those of you on the radio, you- this is this is our fourth podcast uh, <laughs> today in North mythology. <laughs> Norse mythology. Excuse me. Uh, it doesn't really say. It says that some go one place, some go the other, and they're sort of tributes to each other. And uh, I don't know. Huh, I don't really have. I don't have a good. I don't have a good. Uh, uh, it, it appears that there isn't any real good um, difference. It's just that Valhalla is where Odin is, and Freya is, and Folkvanger, and huh. and you know. It doesn't seem like I don't. It doesn't even seem like there's a there's um a big distinction. Maybe they're just like two adjacent meadows. But anyway, those the, those speaking of mailbag, which we're about to get to, the, <laughs> those listeners who are deeply immersed in North mythology, please answer this question for us. How do you how do you know whether you're going to Folkvanger or Valhalla? Indeed, indeed. 
But right now I'm in Folkvanger and it's a pretty damn good place. So. <sighs> How can I go to Folkvanger? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else you want to say about Kavike? Yeah. Kavike? The last thing I'll say is Lars has a thing called the um, uh, Kawike Registry, which you can find at his uh, uh, blog, which is garshol.priv.no, or you can just Google Kawike Registry. And you might need to add Garshol there. Uh, and it has wonderfully detailed information about which brewer he got it from, what the characteristics are, uh, how fast it will ferment, at what temperature it will ferment, all this stuff. It's amazing. Wow. And you should go check that cool. out. Yeah. Nice. This is a product of a, you know, of a country that has a good social safety net there someone could just get deep into farmhouse brewing well and that's the amazing thing uh lars is a he's a tech guy he's 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 just a he's just a you know he's just a guy um he, he got really into this yeah he wasn't he wasn't an eth- ethnographer even though he became one he wasn't a brewer even though he became one he wasn't uh you know a historian even though he became one um it's a it's a remarkable story and um at some point Lars's book came out earlier this year and mm-hmm. I had already talked to him and I said, we're going to have you on the show. It'll be amazing. We'll hear you talk about all this stuff. It's so cool. He's already a rock star in the brewing, brewing industry for all this, all mm-hmm. these reasons. Um, and I, we will have him on the show at some point, but then COVID came and it didn't happen. And, and so uh, he hasn't been on the show yet, but we're going to have Lars on because uh, as you can tell, I'm that'd be of, awesome. Yeah, I'd love to talk to him. Yeah. I'm a bit of a fanboy. He's done great work. So, <laughs> yeah. And by the way, I love the beeronomics angle to haul this, that here's a yeast that just can ferment quickly and cleanly. And, uh, and you worry less about, uh, um, uh, having to store the beer and having to condition the beer and all that. It's just, uh, uh, it's pretty cool. It's very cool. And we can talk uh, the other angle on that is, and we've, had, we've been discussing this on Twitter is the extent to which, um, these brewers should be remunerated for uh, the yeast strain, which is now potentially going to go to industrial brewers and make them billions of dollars. Um, It seems like these these farmers are actually not that concerned that it's happening based on what Lars was telling me on Twitter, but that's interesting. So we'll definitely talk to him about that. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we should probably move on uh, with the podcast since we've been talking a lot about Kawike. Yes. Uh, I knew, I knew it was going to go on for a long time. I knew it was a rich topic and then I would blather forever. Apologize. <laughs> so by the way, we haven't actually talked about uh, Sherpas, but you know, uh, I think in this moment, you can just talk about Kawike beers. Go go search, search out Kawike beers and, uh, and let us know what you find because I found one. It's pretty, dan- pretty darn good. Uh, I'd like to know what what else is out there. Yeah, absolutely. And if you brewed with it, let us know what what your experiences were. Okay, so uh, mailbag. Yeah, let's do it. All right, uh, I got to find the mailbag now because you've hidden it very very cleverly. Here we go. <laughs> uh, would you like me to start? E, well, yeah. That Here. that first one is going to be that's just the whole thing, and uh, you may need to negotiate how to go through it. Uh, all right, uh, here we go. Ready? Yeah. Ma- Mason Astley, uh, who writes to us from New England, asks, wondering if you've had any thoughts on kegs at home. Since we moved into a more rural place, we've had space for a basement fridge, and I put in a kegerator. I don't have the option of variety, uh, but I don't have to expose myself to shopping as much, and the beer is much cheaper. And he goes into yeah. to how much cheaper it is. You cut it off exactly um, at the right place. Good man. Yeah. <laughs> Which is right. So this is always, in fact, this is kind of the the, the conundrum I have with homebrewing too, uh, which is the best thing to do with homebrewing, I think, by the way, here's pro tip. Get a bunch of friends, <laughs> get a bunch of people who homebrew, like get to know them and then share your beer amongst each other. Because, uh, you know, you brew five, six gallons of beer. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's okay. Sometimes it's kawaii beer that's kind of gross. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> you screwed it up. Uh, it would be nice to be able to not have to sit around and have this big five-gallon keg in your fridge. Uh, thoughts, Jeff? What do you think about kegs? Yeah, I think kegs are great. And they require it, – it, it's one of those things where uh, there's a big investment uh, in time, space, energy, 
forethought, all that stuff to get it set up. Because, for example, I have not completely pulled all this off. I, I have my, I don't have a fridge, so I have a freezer where I throw my keg in for a while, and then I pull it out, and then I throw it back in there, and I pull it out. Or in the winter, <laughs> I just leave it outside. This is crude. Uh, it's a terrible system. So if you're actually going to get a fridge and install the whole thing, then you want to have your keg on all the time, which is fantastic. I have to tell you, well, it's actually fantastic and it's kind of bad in another. You drink a lot more beer. If you just, all you have to do is go over to your fridge, uh, which has got a tap installed and yeah. you just pour yourself a beer. That, that, that can, <laughs> can be dangerous. All right. So it's clearly cost effective, right? It's going to, you're going to, the, 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 the price you pay per ounce is going to be much lower with a keg in your fridge. Absolutely. But so the question you have to ask yourself, even, is, even if you're is, buying kegs from places. Yeah. 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 So the question you have to ask yourself is uh, how much is variety worth to me? And so I am on the exact opposite end of the spectrum. I like variety a lot and it's worth a lot to me and probably much more than the cost savings I'd get for a keg. But if there's one beer that you really like and you like to have it all the time and it goes well with all your food and in every weather and all that stuff, then I can totally see why a keg would would uh, would pencil out. But for me, I would never do it. And me, by I by con- contrast, am uh, easy to please and lazy, <laughs> and so, and so uh, a, a full keg of beer is great as long as it's a good beer. I could drink that forever. Who knows? I, you know, it's so, fine. Uh, by the way, the consumption question is a good one. I have this que- I have this uh, same personal sort of battle with twelve ounce cans and sixteen ounce cans and twenty one ounce bombers or twenty ounce whatever cans and stuff uh because i, I kind of think that the package itself is a nice little sort of governor on my on my consumption and i think actually this came up somewhere but but to me like a 12 ounce can is often not quite enough and a 16 ounce can is just sort of right so that's kind of my sweet spot but then it's good that that's it because then a second 16 ounce can is clearly too much but a second 12 ounce can maybe that'd be okay. Yeah. We, so I think 16 ounce cans in my fridge is perfect. So there you go. We had this, I think it was you and me, who, or you and I who had this discussion. Uh, oh, and, did we? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was sort of on the fence too. If you're drinking a lot, 12 ounces is, are nicer because you can moderate a little, a little, you can calibrate it a little bit better. But if you're yeah. only drinking well, one, I mean, yeah, if you're only drinking one, oh yeah, you want to definitely want to have 16 maybe a 22 i know you used to like the 22s which is really too- i did i did like the 22 ounce bomber but now i'm getting older and that's a little too much that puts me on my butt usually that's 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 like two beers anyway all right yeah uh, i'm on the couch after that thank you mason nodding off all right uh you go next one so we have jeff roach from also from boston we apparently we're doing great in new england which is cool because we slag them regularly uh because they're all, they're getting all the IPA love now, and we're bitter. Uh, That's right. So Jeff writes, I'm reaching out to you regarding a comment you made about Belgian yeast phenolics clashing with modern hops. Well, I found something that bridges the divide that you must try. Oxbow, that's a main brewery, mm-hmm. made their version of Sierra Nevada Celebration called Harvest, and it uses fresh, wet, wet, fresh, wet hopped main grown cascades. Uh, Ooh, didn't know that. I know, right? Who knew that we're growing cascades in Maine? Growing cascades in Maine. Uh, which adds a hop terroir They're all just trying to copy the Pacific Northwest. Come on, guys. I know, right? God. Get New your England. own thing. New England. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Let me go back to that. It uses fresh, wesh, that's really hard to say. Wet hopped Maine. You really shouldn't go back to the one thing that you cannot uh, say. I know, right? <laughs> Let's uh, do it again. Uh, that uh, adding a hop terroir element that provides this wonder, wonderful balance of citrus and light phenolics. Cause uh, we had been talking about how, uh, uh, Oh, actually it was on a different po- So I did a, another podcast. So I'm, we're combining two things here. Our podcast where we talk about fresh hop beers and I did a podcast uh, with good beer hunting where we talked about how hops and phenolics don't go well together. And Jeff combining those says, you know, there's this one beer where hops, and they happen to be fresh hops, go really well with light phenolics. And he wanted to share that with us. And that is fascinating. And you, Patrick, will be delighted to know that he offered to send us this beer and I accepted. So look for that. That is hopefully. delightful, but yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying to get over your infidelity. That's okay. What infidelity? I'll, I'll, I'll recover. Oh, well. Doing, other, doing, doing somebody else's podcast. I, I will do it. You, you, basically anybody who asks, I'm, I'm there, man. I'm a media hoe. <laughs> 
Let's do this thing. <laughs> okay, gotta, we, we ought to move. We ought to move on. I gotta, uh, I gotta, you gotta, it's, it's all about the platform. I got to strengthen the platform. Yeah, I'll look forward to the Oxbow. I'm afraid that if it's uh, fresh hopped, it um, it's going to quickly fade. So hopefully, we can get that quick. Yeah, me too. I'm worried about that. My, Put it, my dark yeah, self. FedEx it overnight, man. Yeah. <laughs> There's no, no, don't spare any expense. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you want to impress you know, a couple of Oregonians with your, with your New England beer. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's move on. <laughs> Alexi Font, uh, Alexi Front, sorry, uh, from Chicago writes, wholesalers and self-distributing breweries in Chicago are scrutinized much more closely than they once were. By the way, sorry, I should have let you know that this is referring all the way back. Alexi discovered our series on distribution to which this uh, comment is relevant. Yeah, that was evident to me after like the fourth word that said distributing, Jeff. I know, but you don't listen. But you you were there when we recorded those and maybe the listener was (laughs) not. It's not me. Wait a minute, there's an audio? Boy, how quickly this podcast has devolved. I know. Uh, so he says, self-distributing brews are scrutinized much more closely than they once were. That makes sense. It's Chicago. Uh, there, there, bulk discounts on product are taken advantage of daily, like heavy discounts on 15 plus cases of near code product that is almost out of freshness. Uh of value items such as coasters, tap handles, and uh, POS, point of sale systems, is that it? Well, um, yeah, that? well, point of sale stuff like coasters, stuff. tap handles, and so on. Yeah, are now always invoiced when they come from a wholesaler. Yes, a supplier brewery will walk in more coasters, but you can be sure that the distributor will want a record of coaster purchases once a month on record. Uh, I get it, mm-hmm. right? You got to have something to show. Yep. All- allocations are used very frequently as leverage, and, are, and we are now seeing liquor stores selling more virtue cider and goose island seasonal products so that they can improve their bourbon county allocations Mm. and in this case allocation means the amount of that product you are allocated among the entire population of that product so that's fascinating so what he's saying essentially is that they're scrutinized more closely so they can't just like brazenly uh do all kinds of underhanded stuff but they're finding ways in which to slip like uh uh, point of sale items and things. Yeah, and when we were doing this, I was trying to elicit this information uh, from Craig. Ooh, boy, the old brain cell. It, 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 it found Craig's name. That uh, was a good one. Thank you. Uh, our Bellingham distributor, who was our reporter, and he he was he was r- rightly reluctant to get into the whole. Uh, sausage making of distribution but but there are, but there are ways to offer inducements that are totally legal and Alexi is pointing out that in Chicago they've gone from totally corrupt graft <laughs> to a much a much more uh, common I think example of the way these inducements uh, skirt the law uh, but still are, perf- are are powerful inducements yeah the allocation thing is very fascinating so the idea is that the more that you sell the more you'll get and so that causes you to focus more on one brand versus another right yeah and that just sounds like good business to me right like of course yeah you, you sell my well, you, you become your in- good business is my anti-competitive you know, domination of the marketplace thanks to Anheuser Busch money, but okay. Well, but the, but but he used the example of Virtue Cider and Goose Island just because they have the Bourbon County product, which is so so popular there. I mean, if if you develop a right. a, a, right. a, a limited, so you could say uh, you could talk about um, Pliny the Elder here in the Northwest, right? Like Oregon is mm. one of the only places to get Pliny the Elder outside of California. So if you're going to get Pliny the Elder, you got to sell a bunch of blind pig. You know, I want. I want to see that you are committed to my brand before I give you my most precious resource. That sounds totally legitimate to me. All right. Fair enough. What Alexi didn't, however, say is what the current denomination you should clip to the back of your license is to get out, to get out of a traffic stop in Chicago. <laughs> yeah. Alexi's uh, email was longer and I sort of uh, reduced it down so it would fit in here. And um, he didn't say this out loud, but I, I sensed in it a, a certain uh, uh, defense of the Windy City um, from the aspersions that may have been cast on this from, from a Wisconsin, <laughs> from a Wisconsin boy. Doesn't want to hear shit about uh, Chicago being talked. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I, I get it. Yeah, I get it. We we appreciate. Okay. Yeah, we appreciate that, Alexi, and we we appreciate your engagement despite our clear 
uh, <laughs> albeit justified, uh, bias for Wisconsin. <laughs> All right, we should probably put a uh, a cap on this one. Yeah, we've we've rattled on too long, but that's that's sometimes how we roll. Uh, that's almost always <laughs> <laughs> true, and it, and, it, right. and it usually devolves into us def- uh, arrogantly defending Wisconsin and slagging Chicago. So you know, we end up in the yeah. same place every time. And 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 likewise with uh, uh, Oregon and, and New England. So. That's, that's right. This is the Prejudice Podcast. Yes. <laughs> the Regional Bias Podcast. All right. A few words going out. Please subscribe on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate us. Five stars, please. That helps other listeners find the show. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, thank you for the uh, Mason and Jeff and Alexi for writing uh, this week. Um, you can send your questions or comments to Jeff at beervanablog.com or you can reach out to us on Twitter at beervanapod. Jeff blogs at the Beervana blog and he tweets at beervana. And Patrick tweets at beernomics. All right. Well, I have this wonderful Folkvanger, which everyone knows is where. Uh, old Norse warriors go to die um, in the field of Freya. Indeed. And I if have... You if you didn't know that, you're a chump. <laughs> <laughs> Which we were one hour ago. <laughs> but no longer. Uh, no longer. And I have Old Town Pilsner, uh, an award-winning lager from Portland, Oregon. You know, we could do a whole Pilsner taste-off just from people that we couldn't find for our I month. know. I Actually, when, when that went by, I was like, ooh, maybe we should have like elimination rounds. And, yeah. and have a whole round just on ones we didn't judge before. Yeah, we can bring in the favorites from last time and then these these ones we couldn't find last time. Oh, yeah. I like it. Yeah. All right. Well, it's time to cheers, Jeff. Right. So I'm going to cheers with my Folkvanger. All right. Uh, I cheers with Pilsner. All right. Cheers, cheers Jeff. <laughs> <laughs>